0: Paleo Runner podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. You can also follow me on Facebook.com/runPaleo or on Twitter at runPaleo. Email feedback to Aaron at paleorunner.org. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about a product I've been using called Three Fuel. Three Fuel is a sports drink that gives you sustained energy throughout your workout. It gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates. To get 10% off, use the coupon code 3 Olson. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3 Feel at the top of the page. If you're listening on the podcast app for iPhone or iPad, click the link displayed on the app right now. My guest today is Russ Crandall. He blogs over at The Domestic Man, and he has a new book out called The Ancestral Table. Russ, it's great to have you on the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, Russ, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Give our listeners a little bit of a background about how you got uh, started with ancestral style eating in the first place.
1: Sure. So. Up until I was about 24, 25 years old, I was a pretty healthy guy. I was actually a long-distance runner, and uh, I just slowly <clears throat> started having a series of health issues. Uh, the first was that I had a stroke at the age of 24, uh, and then when I turned 25, 26, I was uh, diagnosed with autoimmune disease called tachyosis arteritis, uh, which caused issues with my pulmonary artery. So basically, it was a, a runner's worst nightmare. I got out of breath within about 30, 45 seconds, anytime I did anything that was uh, strenuous. So, um, you know, I did the, the modern medicine, modern medical path where I did a lot of drugs, you know, a lot of uh, medications, um, steroids, uh, immunosuppressants, you know, you name it. I was on about 15 pills a day. Um, I really wasn't enjoying life at that point, you know, so I decided to do a drastic move and and do a surgery, which was also being recommended. So they went in and, uh, kind of fixed my pulmonary artery. Uh, unfortunately it didn't really turn out. Um, there were no improvements in my symptoms. So this was at the age of 27 or so. Uh, and then at that point I just kind of gave up and I said, okay, well, you know, the medicine isn't really helping, uh, you know, the, the surgery didn't work. So I guess I'm just going to have to be like this forever. And then uh, flash forward a few years, and then all of a sudden, uh, in 2010, I heard about the Paleo Solution, uh, read the book real quickly, and then decided, oh, you know, I'm going to try this out. Um, and so within three weeks or so, some of my symptoms started to fade away, and uh, and here I am, basically, three years later, uh, I'm down off of all 15 medications. I'm down to one now, um, and, you know, I'm exercising a lot more, kind of feeling a lot better, and yeah, that's basically
0: it. Wow, that that's an incredible story. What did your doctors have to st- say about that?
1: Well, so initially they thought, um, and you, it's funny if you look at the paperwork, it all says drug-induced remission because <laughs> they oh. thought that the drugs just finally started working. Mm. Um, but, you know, over the years, uh, and they've seen my cookbook now at this point, uh, they kind of are starting to kind of catch on to the fact that there might be more to it than just, you know, uh, just taking medicine or something like that. So
0: Wow. So the surgery that you had actually didn't work. So were you pretty disappointed at that point? And, how, you know, how did you actually go about finding uh, paleo, and I know you said you you found Rob Wolf, but what was that process like for you?
1: Sure. So, well, yeah, it was it was hugely disappointing to find out that the the surgery didn't work. The the big thing about it was that it was um, a really risky surgery. So. Only 90% of patients even make it off the table alive just because of how complicated it is because they had to kind of open up the chest, you know, take most of the blood out of the body, then freeze the rest of the body uh, Mm -hmm. to get in there for about 10 hours because it's underneath the heart. So you can imagine it was – I kind of put my life on the line thinking that this was going to fix things. Um, So you can imagine I was completely disappointed. So that just is to give you a little glimpse of how desperate i was by the time i saw this idea that you know that food could actually have um, some sort of influence on your health mm-hmm. and you know i'd always heard yeah you know eat vegetarian you know eat low fat all these other kind of things and uh, i never really followed anything but once i heard about the paleo solution uh, and it was just from some random blog post that was talking about it uh, i literally went like 2 days later bought the book uh, and it just so happened to be timed with. I'm in the Navy. It was. I was deployed down to Guantanamo Bay at the time. And so there's not really many places to eat. You basically just have uh, the mess facility or the dining hall to eat at. And luckily, there's lots of fresh fruits and veggies and meats and, you know, some clean foods that you can choose. Uh, And so that really helped those first couple of weeks. You know, I was down there uh, kind of a captive audience, and that really helped me to kind of reset my diet. From there, it was just, it was easy once I got home, convinced my wife, you know, to kind of jump on board with it. My son was only a year and a half at the time, so he didn't have a choice. And uh, it's been smooth sailing ever since.
0: Wow, So tell me a little bit more about that timeline. How soon did you start seeing results?
1: So I'd say um, three weeks after uh, switching my diet, I went and had my blood work done. And it was the best by far that I'd ever been. And at the time, I'd already been trying to talk to my doctors about getting off a couple of the medications just because... I was sick of it. You know, I was sick of being on steroids and that kind of stuff. Uh, so when I went in there with such great blood work, they immediately were like, okay, uh, yeah, let's try it out. Let's, let's wean you off the steroids. So I weaned off the steroids um, over a course of about a week and dropped 40 pounds almost immediately. And a lot of that was the steroid weight, but it had such a profound effect on me to drop those, those pounds, you know, and to feel alive again after, you know, what was at that point five years of struggling.
0: So, mm, mm-hmm. so what kind of blood markers are they looking? at as far as inflammation or what kind of things yeah. do you look at
1: so I, I i mostly get followed by rheumatology and so for the most part they're looking at um yeah your inflammation markers so your crp and sed rate that kind of stuff
0: mm-hmm. so when you first started on the paleo diet you were following a kind of it sounds like rob wolf's approach which is sort of a low lower fat lean meats type diet what have you learned since
1: well, so I'm a bit of a black sheep in the paleo community in that, so I, you know, going back to where I was at, uh, after those three weeks, I lost those 40 pounds, I continued to lose more weight, uh, and I was eating as much um, proteins as I could, You know, really kind of following that idea and eating a sweet potato every once in a while, um, but I realized something was missing, and so initially I started reading more about ketogenic diets, so I went really high-fat. Uh, that really didn't seem to work for me. I don't, I don't think there's a problem per se with ketogenic diets for some people, but for me, it just wasn't working. I was feeling lousy, really tired, uh, and I kept at it for a while, and I just thought, well, this, this might not be what works for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, my wife's Japanese. And at that point, you know, we've been doing paleo for, you know, a month and a half at that point, And we were really jonesing for rice. You know, I spent seven years in Hawaii myself. Um, so we added in a little bit of rice and immediately felt so much better, you know. <laughs> uh, and so from then on, I basically started looking up the whole perfect health diet idea, you know, Paul Jaminet and his ideas of, say, starches and stuff. And so we started incorporating white potatoes, tapioca, and um, white rice into our diets and and found that we felt a lot better that way and you know we keep it still fairly moderate to low carb probably 150 grams a day of carbs max usually um sometimes a lot less than that so Mm -hmm. i think that's that's one thing that's kind of separated us over the years and and found that you know adding in the starches has really helped
0: yeah. You know, I really like that idea, Russ, of kind of ma- taking paleo and then making it personal and doing what works for you and right. not really caring if if you're following the mainstream or whatever. Yeah. Um yeah. for listeners who are curious about that safe starches approach, what is it about white rice and um potatoes and tapioca that makes it okay for you to eat having this serious autoimmune condition?
1: So, uh white rice in particular, uh including white potatoes uh and tapioca really. Uh are all very low in toxins. So, you know, if you, if you think about it, um, we hear a lot of bad things about grains, and that grains have lots of anti-nutrients and they're bad for you, and that kind of thing. But when when taken on its own, white rice, once the once the shell has been removed from it, and once it's been cooked, it has a very very low toxin profile, lower than a lot of foods that we consider to be completely paleo, like coconut or avocado. So um, in that sense, it's it's the idea that eating foods that are low in toxin and high in nutrients is probably the best for you. Uh, now, given that potatoes and rice and tapioca are not particularly high in nutrients, you have to balance that by eating very nutrient-dense foods with it. So for example, when we eat white rice, we cook it in in bone broth. Um, and then you know, add acids and butter and all sorts of tasty things to it to kind of make it more palatable. Uh, same thing with white potatoes and that kind of stuff. The other idea with white potatoes too is that they're they're high in glycoalkaloids, which is another strong anti-nutrient that's um, that gives its 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 nightshade profile. Um, so the idea with that is peeling a potato and then boiling it using very gentle cooking methods eliminates a lot of those as well. So we usually only will eat boiled or mashed potatoes.
0: Okay, so you said you got your wife on this diet as well. How's it been going for her, and do you have kids?
1: We do, so we have a, a son who just turned five pa- this past weekend um and so we've you know it's been over three years now, and um we've been good you know we this's the one thing about adding in things like rice and potatoes into your diet, and we do a little bit of dairy as well. It makes the diet so much more sustainable it 's really, really easy to to eat that kind of diet because we hardly have any cravings for sugar or anything like that. We just kind of found that unique balance for us that works particularly well. In that we're able to sustain this diet in the long term. So, mm. given the fact that I haven't had a donut in three and a half years, it doesn't really bother me. You know what I mean? But I, I can see other people, especially people that do really strict paleo, sometimes I see them really kind of struggling. You know, to 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 keep doing that day in and day out, and then they they feel like they're weak and they're not able to to sustain their own diet. But to me, my idea is that if you are not able to sustain your diet, then it may be something with your diet, not with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the idea for me is to find what works individually for you. Um, and for my wife and I, we, we do have a little bit of different tastes. You know, I, I definitely eat more carbs than she does. Um, and, and everything's been working pretty well for us. You know, she, she dropped a lot of her weight um, she, she works out regularly now. And, um, before it had been a struggle to kind of keep the energy up and be able to work out and stuff like that. So,
0: Mm -hmm. so you mentioned there that you actually include some dairy and a lot of strict paleo people, um, kind of eschew dairy. Um, but you know, as I've, um, been raising a little one here now, I've got a two month old, I've been thinking more about the needs of calcium in the diet. And sometimes it's hard to get enough calcium on a strict paleo diet. Is that something, uh, that we need to worry about on a paleo type diet? So I
1: I don't think in particular you have to worry about calcium on its own. Um, There are a lot of great fat-soluble nutrients that are found in dairy that are sometimes harder to find, like vitamin K2, uh, which is really high in butter. Um, but for the most part, I think as long as you're eating a lot of good seafood and fish, I think that's a, that's a really good source of calcium, uh, especially uh, fish heads and eyeballs and stuff like that. If you're up for that, then those have the highest concentrations of calcium in a fish. Uh, otherwise, you know, green leafy vegetables have calcium, although it's a different form than what you would find in dairy. So. I do think that there is definitely something to the vitamins that you can find in dairy, uh, but they're not necessarily uh, necessary for function at all times. But you know, depending on on your ethnicity and you know all those kind of different factors, there's definitely people who do much better with dairy than those who don't.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there are things like fish heads. Um, mm-hmm. Does your Does your book include recipes that include fish heads and it, it's called The Ancestral Table. Give us a little bit of a flavor of what kind of meals we're going to be eating if we pick up this book.
1: Okay. So um, The Ancestral Table is based off of uh, basically eating the way our ancestors did. And not so much that the way the cavemen ate, but more along the lines of what our great-grandparents ate. So there's a lot of whole foods Uh, familiar and classic dishes from all over the world basically and it does include whole fish so you know i have a couple recipes that include the head and it's up to you whether or not you want to actually eat the head but it's there for the taking so (laughs)
0: um
1: but for the most part it's it's classic um almost gourmet style dishes of from all over the world so uh there's there's a lot of overlap of things that you're familiar with probably so like you know, there's a chicken fried steak recipe in there. There's a Salisbury steak recipe in there. But then there's also a lot of international foods that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Um, a lot of Asian foods, I'm I'm pretty well influenced from our time in Hawaii. So um, there's a lot of Japanese, Chinese, Asian uh, style, a lot of Indonesian dishes, as well as European and, and American dishes.
0: Mm. So give me an, an idea of what you had today to eat. And is it a typical day? What kind of meals, how often are you eating? And and what are the meals consisting of?
1: So I, I tend to eat uh, two or three times a day. Uh, it just depends on whether or not I skip breakfast. I like, to, um, I like to fast as long as possible in between meals. So sometimes I'll go from you know, 6 p.m. until 11 or 12 the next day uh, just because I like to have that long fast in between meals. Um, but so for the most part in the mornings, uh, I'll usually eat some sort of canned or smoked fish. So like smoked salmon or a can of sardines. And then usually a piece of fruit. So a banana, um, tangerine, berries, something like that. And for lunchtime, I have, um, I have leftovers of what I had for dinner the night previously. So I like that for two reasons. Number one is it, it makes it so it's it's economical. I just make a larger dish for dinner time, and then I have something for the next day. But it also kind of keeps me in check and makes sure that I don't go and eat out every night because then I won't have leftovers to eat for the next day. And then dinner is usually something, um, honestly, a lot of it's from the book <laughs> because I really put down most of the dishes that I wanted to eat most myself into there. So uh, it's really kind of a best of collection for me. Um, But yeah, so the dinner would be uh, something along the lines of uh, either a June Cleaver style meal where there's potatoes and there's a a protein and then some vegetables or else it's going to be something, you know, a little more Asian influence with rice and and again, a protein and vegetables.
0: Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that when you're eating some of those kind of a little bit more empty calories like the rice and the white potatoes, you need to include some really nutrient dense things. So Mm -hmm. are there things like liver in your cookbook? And how to use that in cooking? So
1: I tried to appeal a little bit more to a broader audience. So I didn't include liver in the book. Uh, and really, there's only so many ways you can cook a liver. But um, for me, I, I did include a lot of um, different cuts. So, for example, uh, like I have a pork neck soup in there. Uh, I have some collared greens made with pork necks or ham hocks, so there's there's a few of the alternate cuts, you know, involved in there. But for the most part, I I try to stay a little bit mainstream, um, mm-hmm. while still providing a lot of seafood. So seafood's probably the biggest chapter in the book, uh, and then a lot of ruminant dishes as well.
0: So, mm-hmm. so have since you've been on this uh, sort of ancestral style diet, has your running come back?
1: Unfortunately not, it's so the one thing, uh, you know, because uh, I had so many years with uh, pulmonary artery issues, there's basically been calcification in the artery, so I just don't get enough blood to my lungs to be able to keep up a, a high heart rate, unfortunately. So I can usually go and run for about a minute, and then I have to jog for about 30 seconds, then run again for th- for a minute, um, it kind of makes it a little boring, you know, it's kind of like uh, sprint exercises or something like that. But um, at the same time, it's it's way better than it was, you know, before I started the diet. But unfortunately, just the way the arteries are, they're not going to spring back. So,
0: mm-hmm. So Russ, are the recipes in your cookbook? Do they take a long time to cook? Are they or are they easy 30 minute meals? What kind of time are we going to be involved in this?
1: That's a great question. So um, I tried to do a good mix of easy meals and hard meals. But to be honest, um, one of the tenets of the way I cook is that that I don't feel like you should take shortcuts. So uh, for example, there's a there's a pho recipe in there. So you know just a beef bone soup, but it is a it's a seven hour recipe. You know if you really want to make it right, you know you got to put in that time. So, but then again, it's offset by, you know, a 20 minute recipe right next to it and that kind of thing. So, um, I think there'll be a bit of a challenge for nobody, for somebody who's never cooked before, uh, but for anybody who's cooked through a paleo book or two and is ready for that next step or is really ready to tackle an authentic recipe once a week kind of thing, uh, I think this would be kind of a good choice for them.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned pho. That's one of my favorite meals. There's a Vietnamese restaurant down the road that, that makes it, and I've tried making it at home, but mm-hmm. haven't been able to replicate it. What, what is involved in a pho?
1: So one of the big parts of pho is that that flavor, uh, which is really hard to kind of pinpoint. And and the reason for that is because it uses a lot of whole spices that we're not used to. So um, there's black cardamom, green part cardamom, uh, star anise. Um, I'd have to look at the rest of them. A little bit of fennel, I believe, some cloves. There's just kind of a lot of whole spices involved with it. That simmer only for a short period of time, only a couple hours out of the entire seven-hour process. Uh, the other part of it, too, is that uh, it, you don't really taste it initially, but there is some sweetness added to that broth. Uh, and so that's usually done in a pho restaurant by adding in a little bit of sugar or adding some MSG, which kind of brings in that, that extra flavor profile. Uh, what I found the best way to do that is to throw in a parsnip in while you're boiling the bones. So parsnips, once they're cooked, they're naturally sweet, and it adds that, that nice dynamic to it. So those are the two main reasons that um, – that I think my pho recipe kind of stands apart is that I I use all of the real uh, spices that are involved as well as adding a little bit of sweetness through the parsnips.
0: Mm -hmm. So other than including some starchy carbohydrates back in your diet to help you feel better, um, has it been important to control your macronutrients as far as what exactly how much you're eating every day? Or can you kind of just go by how you're feeling and your taste buds?
1: So that, that's a good question, too. Uh, I definitely, at this point, I go by taste, but I, there was definitely some uh, some thought involved when I started to develop these tastes. And for me, uh, I definitely, at this point, it's second nature, but I include a lot of fats, more than I ever grew up with, you know, so I'll instead of using one tablespoon of coconut oil or butter or whatever I would need for the dish, I end end up putting in two or three, you know, just to kind of add that extra flavor to it. So I think I'm getting a lot more fats than I thought uh, initially I would be getting when starting the diet. And then protein kind of just takes care of itself. You know, I I can never overeat protein and most people can't. Um, So by the fact that I'm consciously adding more fats and then eating as much protein to taste, the carbs just kind of fall into place at that point. So they're that superfluous kind of extra portion that i add so that's that's basically also to taste but by the time i filled up on my fats and proteins uh the carb levels just kind of vary based on my activity and that kind of thing
0: gotcha and how closely have you worked with paul jaminé on this i know that he's uh, a friend of yours and you know he supports your book and he's really um interested in making sure that we get the right amount of micronutrients as well so i'm wondering is that something that you guys have talked about
1: you know honestly um I've really lucked out in that uh, when I do my own research and then I go back and look at his page, it kind of ends up being the same thing. So in that sense, um, we haven't sat down and collaborated much on uh, exact things other than I try to stay compliant with his book and then I, you know, I ping a couple questions off of him every once in a while. For the most part, I've been really lucky in that we've been in agreement most of the time. So. I think he's got a lot of good ideas with focusing on the micronutrients, which kind of just fall into place when you're eating the right foods, which include really nutrient dense foods like seafoods and ofal and that kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And Russ, it's it kind of looked like you, there was a pizza on the front cover. Is that <laughs> what it was or what is that? It, it is. It's tasty. a
1: pizza. So that was um, that's kind of my hook right there. So uh, I have a pizza recipe on my blog, which is actually modeled after um, Pau de Queijo, which is a Brazilian um, cheese ball they They make and it 's basically made with tapioca starch, a little bit of cheese and um, some cream. And so I, I figured out, you know, we were making all these, these cheese balls every once in a while. I thought, well, what would happen if we smashed it down and made a pizza crust out of it? It turns out that it it comes out really good. Uh, very similar to a lot of the gluten-free cu- crusts that you can buy, you know, like Domino's or all those other kind of places. So, uh, that, that recipe in particular got very popular on my blog, uh, despite the fact that I had all sorts of great stuff like lamb foot stew and that kind of thing on my blog. <laughs> so, um, so at that point, uh, after doing a couple cover shots of different stews and things like that, um, and really kind of realizing that it wasn't going to appeal to a mass market audience, same thing with seafood, I thought, okay, well, um, maybe I'll hook people in with this pizza cover, and then they'll open it up and see all sorts of nutritious things within it. So to be fair, I would say that pizza recipe is probably the least nutritious of all my meals, but I figured it was the one that was going to hook people in to to get the tasty stuff inside. So,
0: Yeah, I can't wait to try it. Russ, I, I'm really excited to get your book and to check it out. Where do you Thank recommend you. that people go to find out more about you?
1: Well, so my website is thedomesticman.com, uh, and you can find basically everything in there. I post new recipes every Tuesday, uh, and I also have links for buying my cookbook and things like that. So you can, my my book came out last week, so you'll be able to find it in in any, any major bookstore, anywhere that cover that uh, sorry carries um, cookbooks. Uh, or you can just, you know, on, online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, those kind of places as
0: well. Great. Well, Russ, it's, I'm, I'm so glad that you regained your health. And thanks so much for being part of the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast. For more information, go to paleorunner.org. Email feedback to Aaron at paleorunner.org.